As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Blog Talk Radio. My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious sh- Hello? Pausing the show as I check to see if you guys can actually hear me. Um, let's switch back over to this and see holds it down um might just be a blank three seconds on the show um but we'll find out uh right here when travis calls me back um 
And uh, until then, I'm just going to stall for time because I don't even know if you can hear me. Sorry about that uh, while we get this worked out. Peter's acting a little funky, chunky monkey here. Hopefully Travis calls back because I have no way of knowing if it's me or him till then. Travis, you there? Can you hear me? I am here. Okay. Okay, sorry yeah. about that. Uh, a minute or two of silence. I don't. I don't know what was going on earlier. Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know what's going on. I've been having a lot of problems with uh, with Skype the last couple of weeks. So it's whatever. Uh, we're here now, so that's good. Yeah, and if you didn't hear it before, um, then we're gonna tell you now anyway. <laughs> yeah. If you didn't hear, if if my mic was messing up because I changed something, uh, then just fast forward past that three minutes you already listened to. <laughs> uh, but just in case, we're going to talk Contraband today, a movie all of you have heard of, I'm sure, Mark Wahlberg's new action thriller that conquered the box office this week. And then two more that you're sure to hear about, if you haven't already heard about them, The Iron Lady and Carnage, as we ramp up here in the Oscar season. When is the actual start of Oscar season? Is it when the nominees are announced? Uh, the nominees should be announced in a few days. Uh, okay. And I guess you can... I, I would say it officially began uh, uh, probably probably when the announcements of the Golden Globes and and other things like that. And it's and after the Golden Globes last night, it's really on. Uh, so that's I would say like That's like your, your easy barometer of what's going to win or what's going to at least be nominated, right? It's it certainly it certainly gives certain movies a boost. Like, I mean, there have been a number of awards already, and we've seen that uh, the artist has been dominating a lot of them. Uh, so it's it's got to be a clear front-runner. Uh, after last night, you got to give a boost to uh, to George Clooney for Best Actor. Uh, he won for Best uh, Best Actor in a Comedy Musical. But then, uh, you know, you got to give a you got to give a, like I said, you got to give props to uh, um, uh, Jean Dujardin for the artist. Also, he won for Best uh, Drama Actor in a Drama, I believe. So I mean, so it's going to be a close one this year. Um, but I think the artist probably got a leg up on everybody right now. Has there? I'm trying to think of. It's like the what 83rd annual Academy Awards. So there had to been something like that. Yeah, one of one awards before, right? Uh, I I couldn't speak for some of the early uh, Oscars. I'm not sure, but uh, certainly there's been in a long time. <laughs> do you mean to tell me you don't have an encyclopedic knowledge? Of I, I do not. I do not. <laughs> Unfortunately, I do not. Uh, another film we're going to talk about tonight, uh, today too, for, uh, just for a moment, is uh, Angelina Jolie's writing and directing debut, uh, which is In the Land of Blood and Honey. That came out in DC this week, also. Uh, yes, yeah. So, so uh, we got four movies, so we should probably go ahead and jump right into these, man. Go for it. Um, let, let you. What do you want to do first? Do you, you want to knock down Carnage? Uh, no, we should probably start with Contraband. This is the biggest movie. Uh, uh, out, of the, out of the one so far this week, so we should probably go ahead and start with Contraband. Okay. I'll let you nail that one, because I'm pretty <laughs> sure my mic's messing up still. I hear myself jumping around, so I'm trying to fix it. <laughs> Give me oh. five seconds while you do that, and I'll be okay, good. Okay, no, that's no problem. Uh, Contraband uh, is 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 a will look like a very familiar movie to people if you just go by the, uh, by the commercials and the trailers, but it, it stars Mark Wahlberg as Chris Faraday, uh, a former uh, smuggler, uh, who's uh, who's who's turned his life around? He's he's married to a, a beautiful wife, played by Kate Beckinsale, and uh, 
and uh, they have a couple of kids, and he's trying to turn his life around. He's doing put he's got a new job installing security systems, and he's trying to trying to get beyond his old life. Well, when his brother-in-law uh, screws up a, a drug run for a, a crazy local drug lord played by Giovanni Ribisi, uh Chris is forced back into the life in order to make sure that his bro doesn't get his ass killed in the streets. Uh, so he takes on, yes, that familiar one last job that we always see. And, of course, it goes terribly wrong. Uh, Chris uh, stows away on a on a merchant merchant vessel and uh, with a plan to sneak into uh, Panama and uh, and uh, and make a trade for some uh, unmarked uh, unmarked dollar bills. But when all goes wrong, he's forced to deal with a drug with a crazy Panamanian drug lord uh, played by Diego Luna, and all sorts of things go terribly wrong, especially at home where the people Chris trusts most uh, are turning their backs on him and putting his family in danger. Uh, I was surprised by how much I like this movie, and I feel kind of, I feel kind of bad Let because I got, well go ahead, go ahead. No, I, I just want to say before we got into it, um, is there anything glaring about cast and plot that seem um, like they've happened before under different scenarios? I just want to see if well, you get it with that. See if well, how I mean, obvious it was. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean that's why I was saying this is the familiar one last heist movie that we see all the time. Uh, well, I just mean with Giovanni Ribisi in the role of the, the well, you know, he, he, with he, the he, Gone in sixty seconds plot. Well, well, I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't recall the plot of Gone in sixty seconds like to that kind of detail. But I mean, I, but what I thought was familiar for the way he, the character he was playing was that he reminded me a lot of the guy he played in the Rum Diary just like a couple months ago, only mm-hmm. you know more violent. <laughs> but he was using like the it, same well, voice. The same, you know, he he, he kind of looked the same, you know. He's like, he's almost the yeah. same guy, just a lot more, a lot crazier. I, I'll be honest. Um, I, well, what I, what I saw, he was he's in a different role in this movie, but mm. yeah. John, are you there? And it sounds like John has been cut off. Uh, I'm not sure what happened there, but uh, okay. Well, I guess I will pick up the slack for now. Um, anyway, uh, I was surprised by how much I liked this movie, and I feel kind of bad because I I undersold it on our friend uh, Tim Gordon's show uh, a few days ago, and, and that was that was my mistake. But I did like this movie a lot, and in fact, out of five, I gave it a three and a half. Uh, I liked it because it has sort of a European flair, and I'm sure a lot of that comes from the director. Uh, Sorry. Uh, Bal- Bal- <laughs> we're off to a roaring start today. No, yeah, we're having all sorts of technical difficulties today. But I was explaining why I like this movie so much, and I, and I was saying that I think a lot of it is was the director, uh, Balthazar Oracor, who, who's an Icelandic director. Uh, it has, brings sort of a European flair to it. It's not all balls-to-the-wall action or anything like that. It's actually quite a bit different. It's it's not all action. It's more, not contemplative, but you see a lot of the moving pieces coming together, especially when Chris is formulating the plans and stuff like that. So it's not what you expect. If you just look at the at the commercials and the trailers, 
of course it's going to present it as just being, you know, Mark Wahlberg kicks a lot of ass, but that's really not what this movie is. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, and I think it's funny because that's that's something that, you know, when I've talked to people that see the movie, I'm hearing a lot, and it's mm. kind of a grass-is-always-greener scenario because it, this movie does give you more of the planning, the contemplative stuff that everybody's always asking for. Movies like uh, Faster is the best one I can think of right mm. now, um, where he literally was around shooting people in the head. Um, but this this one kind of shows you some of the other stuff, too, and still had – I thought it had – Wait, am I wrong? I think it had a lot, a lot of action. I felt like there was a lot of action. I remember a lot I, of action. No, I don't think there was a lot of action, but I thought the action they presented was really, really strong. Uh, like, Especially when they got to Panama and they were dealing with uh, Diego Luna's character. Mm-hmm. Uh, the action, that street, that chase in the streets was, was out of this world. I mean, That's- it just the way, he, the way uh, Balthazar shoots it, uh, the intensity, and I like the way that things... Start off like they're going like they're going fine, but things turn like the heat gets turned up really really fast. Yeah, and and that happens in a lot of a lot of aspects of this movie. Things go bad at the snap of a finger, like you like and to the point where you're wondering how did things get so far out of control, and and you're kind of lost in that with Chris, you know, with Chris Faraday. Right. You know, you're kind of like how did things go so bad in record time like this? It all it takes is like one one person to screw things up, and all of a sudden everything has gone to shit. Which is it, that's the only time watching a movie. I thought that this one did it well. Um, is the only time watching a movie when you want to feel lost in the plot is when you're supposed to because that's what they're going through. Right. Some, some movies you get lost just because it's, no, it's not right. like. Oh, speaking of which, I will, we'll get into it later. Try to watch Boonraku. I don't know if you've seen it yet, but uh, um, I, I've, I've actually done a lot of talking about Boonraku over the last few weeks. Okay. On Twitter and Facebook, I've been doing a lot of talking about uh, Boon Raku. In fact, I was about to give it to a, a colleague of ours, uh, Tim Gordon, so he could watch it. Uh, because I remember when they were making that movie. I mean, this movie yeah. was made back in 2006. And uh, I remember that, and I was like, okay, uh, this should be awesome. You know, and, like, it should be awesome. And I remember when it came out, and everybody really shit on it, and it got panned really bad. Uh-huh. And, but it but it wasn't coming out, so I was like, okay, well maybe I'll just never see it. And then it comes out in DVD here, and I watched it, uh, and I was like, okay, you know, I was happily through. It. I was like, okay, you know, this is really stylish. I don't know what the hell people's problem with it was. Mm-hmm. And uh, after about ten minutes after I tweeted that, I was like, oh, it's <laughs> yeah, I don't even think I got narration that. is bad, and the characters are just dull and flat and lifeless. And it's just, and nothing connects. It's just, there's no emotion to it. It's just a lot of mindless action and not even really all that good action. Well, yeah, cause I, I thought, I'm glad to hear that because I, I, I thought it was just me because, uh, you know, we've talked plenty of times about my, you know, I, I appreciate anime for what it is, but I, I just don't have a taste for it. And I thought it was just like trying to be like that, and that's maybe why I didn't like it. But I know you, um, I, you're not into the anime, but you, you like it more than I do, at least. Right, <laughs> right. It's um, right. There's a lot of problems with Bunraku, but let's not stray too far from contraband. Yes, yes right? contraband. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's funny because like this is one of those ones that I was like, okay, you know, this is an action movie like I like, and it's gonna have a lot of good buzz because you know it's got a little brain to it a little bit, and the cast. I mean, they're they're kind of like the um, the replacements of movies. They're like mm-hmm. guys you don't think of all the time, but you always love them. Ben Foster, Lucas Haas. Is Lucas Howe is probably the funniest looking guy in show business, but I I always like hmm. him when I see him on screen. I don't ever since Mars Attacks. <laughs> yeah, I'm like I'm like the polar opposite when it comes to Lucas Howe. I, I can't stand him when he's in a movie, except oh. in Brick, except in Brick, where I thought he was good. But uh, that's right, I but, forgot. Uh, he, yeah. yeah, but yeah, he plays the the bad guy. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, you know, I, I do think this movie 
does, it has a great script, okay? It has a great script about three-fourths of the way through it. But uh, I do feel like the final leg of the movie really falls flat on his face. And it's like, I don't know if they just lost track of how to conclude it or or what, but it's like every character that was so smart throughout the movie suddenly gets really, really stupid. To the point where, you know, it's like, okay, if these people are this dumb, I don't know how they got out of bed in the morning. I don't I don't quite understand. Like keep characters start doing things that don't make any sense. I hate uh, when you say stuff that makes sense and then it goes against what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> well, in particular like the the boat captain played by J.K. Simmons, who's actually chewing a lot of scenery in his movie and he's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. But uh certain characters are you're just like, Why would you ever do that? It doesn't make any sense at all. I don't right. understand. And there's things like that that happened a lot in like the last fifteen minutes of the movie and it's like they just kinda gave up and I was like, uh that kind of pissed me off, but and otherwise, I didn't now that you mention it, now that you pointed out, I see exactly what you're talking about. I, I honestly, leaving the theater, I didn't think about that. I, I just had a, a bit. You're talking to a guy who's one of his favorite movies is Bloodsport. Um, so you know, logic doesn't always go out the window. But yeah, yeah, I can see what you're talking about. How you know, it's it's like where was the brain from, that you had the rest of the movie at, at this mm-hmm. point in time? Yeah, I got you. okay. I'm with you. <laughs> it's, yeah. So I mean, but overall, I did give this movie a three and a half out of five. Like I said earlier. Uh, I do think it's a solid uh, genre film. Yeah, you get a little bit tired of seeing the one last heist thing, but you know, it, you know, it's done well. It's a it's a it's a it's a well shot film. Uh, it has it has a pretty good pace to it, and the actors are solid. I, I do feel like some of the characters are flat. Uh, I was a little disappointed in Ben Foster's character. He's good. It's just that his character doesn't have a lot of depth to them. And uh, I kind of felt this. I kind of felt the same way about Kate Beckinsale, who's really just sort of a, a damsel in distress most of the movie. But she's good for what she's asked to do in it. So it's a solid film, a solid January film. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. She 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 definitely uh, was just eye candy. But I think that that's one of the cool things about her. She can be eye candy, or she can really act when she wants to. I I think I've seen stuff where she can really act in. Um, but Ben Foster, <laughs> I was I was surprised that um, that that he because usually he elevates his characters regardless of how they're written. I mean, his character was the most interesting one in the Thomas Jane Punisher, and he he was in there for like ten minutes of screen time. Like he had a little stuff like the uh, when he's talk playing the video game, yelling about his parents. Right. You know, it gives depth to the character by his acting. So I was surprised to see that. I, I felt he was kind of phoning this one in, but I always like to see that guy. I, I give it a, a solid uh, – I'm going to have to give up the point structure until I figure out what it actually means because I'm giving it more because it's January, and it's a good January movie. You're going to get a lot of of either super crap or Oscar-worthy stuff for next year. Um, and this is your middle-of-the-road fun movie to go watch. So I, I give it a solid three and a half out of five. Well, I guess it would be a three out of five because that's middle, isn't it? Yeah, it's a three yeah, yeah. out of five. Yeah. Okay. So that's contraband. I think we both uh, like that movie. Think it's a. I think it's probably a little bit better than your your average uh, uh, genre movie. You think it's about about in the middle there. So we both like it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the best thing about movies like this is, if I give them a three for going to the theater and paying nine dollars, it's going to be a four when you get it at home on DVD. <laughs> a lot cheaper. <laughs> Especially if you buy it through punchdrunkcritics.com. Absolutely. Everybody should be buying from. PunchDrunkCritics.com. Uh, all right, what do you want to do next? Let's do Carnage next. Carnage? Yeah. Uh, the, I'm going to let you do the plot, but I'm just going to glaze over it real quick because I know we'll go too far in depth. The story okay. of how two sets of parents deal with a ch- children's argument. That you can make – you know, they, what do they say? There's seven different <laughs> types of movies you can tell or stories you can tell. This mm. should be the eighth one because I'm like getting up in age. I'm starting to know more and more parents, and this stuff – I'll let you go ahead. Right. 
Well, yeah, Carnage is directed by Roman Polanski, uh, and it stars. It, it, well, if this cast isn't enough, then I don't know what's <laughs> going to get you in here. But it's it's Jodie Foster, John C. Riley, Kate Winslet, and Christoph Waltz as two sets of upper middle class Brooklyn parents uh, who meet one night to discuss a fight that takes place between their two sons. Uh, and as these two sets of parents uh, uh, talk and try to hash things out. All the civility that's built up that you think these people, these very civilized people would have, suddenly crumbles and devolves into a drunken vomit, vomiting mess as they, as 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 they all start to start to uh, all the facades fall and and they all be, uh, reveal their true selves. Uh, most of this is is a. Uh, is uh, spurred on by Christoph Waltz's character. Uh, his name is Alan Cowan, and he's just this really horrible lawyer uh, who's in the middle of some sort of crisis at work. And he's just on his phone the entire time. The, in fact, his cell phone is like the fifth character in the movie, uh, basically. <laughs> it's always there. It's always a factor. It's always going off in the middle of a conversation. And the thing is, when, Crit, when uh, Alan gets off the phone, all he does is spew venom. He tells them uh, later on in the film that he's, he worships the god of carnage, which is uh, the full title of the movie uh, based on the stage play. And he tells them that he worships the god of carnage. And all he does for the entire film is expose everyone in the room for the frauds they are. Uh, Jodie Foster and John C. Riley's characters are these sort of uh, altruistic savior types. They want all they 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 want. They think they they're there to to help everybody. But he he she, he exposes them for the frauds they are, and he even does it to his own wife, uh, Kate Winslet's character. He just exposes all of them, and he's the only one who's really true to himself the entire time. And it's just a hilarious film with four terrible people who don't realize they're terrible, and it's just a lot of fun. It's got a a really biting uh, sardonic wit to it. I just had a lot of fun with this. Yeah, I mean, I this is this is where my my separation draws, and this is kind of outside of the box for me to say. The movie, without a doubt, is entertaining. Uh, you you can go and look at any rating system. All the surprisingly, I I would have thought this would be a critic like, audience not like, but right. the, the the exit polls are actually above you know ratings than the critics are giving it, and it is a fun good movie. But I desperately desperately want to see these people switch roles. Like, hmm. Christoph Waltz, you always get him in that... I, now, granted, I haven't been following his career since before Inglorious Bastards, but mm -hmm. everything you see him in is kind of the same kind of guy, you know what I mean? A, very different, but the same... I, I see what you're saying. There's, I see what you're saying. Like, his character in Inglorious Bastards is, is hella evil, but he's got this veneer of calm and civility to him. You know, he's like... Yeah, he's not. He's not. Scared. He's not. He's not cruel and like, like cartoonish, cartoonishly evil. He's different. You know what I mean? He's right. I see what you're saying. Like, like he, like he treats it like a job. He has to give the uh, politeness right. to, or something like that. And then John C. Riley, he always plays the happy clown. You know, and this guy is capable right. of much, much more if you go back in his career. But ever since he hooked up Will Ferrell, um, you know, I, I, we were when we interviewed him before. He, that's he kind of that he didn't get upset, but when, when I said he was a comedic actor, he's like, "Well, no, I'm an actor." Right. You know, he was very nice about it, but I see what he means now because, you know, he, he was what Boogie Nights and and um, uh, too many movies I'm going to forget before where he always kind of played a dim-witted, you know, funny guy. Well, he's always the most affable guy in the room. I mean, right. he's always you know, that's always who his character is. He has that look about him, and he's sort of that way here. Uh, at least initially, he is. 
yeah. but we see that a lot of the time. A lot of what motivates him is he's he's really just sort of a wet blanket. I mean, he yeah. he can he can be bossed around by anybody. You know what I mean? From if it's if he his wife Jodie Foster, he he's basically just uh, aping what she does. And then and later on, he sort of he sort of take, takes a turn and starts aping what the Christoph Waltz character does. And he's just he's just a guy who kind of goes with the flow, unfortunately. And you know what? That's exactly what I mean. I was trying to think of which Will Ferrell movie it was that, that is his template now. But in Talladega Nights, his character in Talladega Nights, it's some variant of that in every single one. Whether it's more serious, you know, I know that's a weird comparison to make, but you know, in, in that movie. He's Will Ferrell's best friend, does whatever he says, the shake and bake, and then when he marries his wife, she does whatever she says. You know, the same type of deal. It's the same templated character, just done different ways. I, I, w- I would have liked this movie better um, had they switched roles, but that's just my, my me wanting things in my perfect movie dream world. I, as a movie itself, I thought it was great. I thought it was, I thought it was, you know, as realistic as a black comedy can be. Right. But... At the same time, it, like it, it puts out something that real people deal with and puts a funny twist on. Well, I, I think it's funny, and I'm sure this was kind of the point of the movie is is uh, the fact that you see these these parents who are supposed to be the most mature out of the group, and uh, and it's their kids who seem to be able to kind of patch things up. I, mean, I don't want to spoil the movie or anything, but the parents default, like really fall apart while the kids, uh, you know, are, are probably the ones who can settle their differences rationally. But uh, and that's but the best my, message from it is that right. is that you know right. we we as adults we overcomplicate things through our civility where kids you know they'll fight on the playground and then get over it whatever <laughs> you my, know my my only complaint about it is that it is really sort of a, a an insubstantial film like i mean it's it's 80 minutes long which is which is about exactly what it should be but i don't know how much i'm going to remember this movie in about a month like i i i, I watched it and i liked it a lot and then, I mean, it's been almost a month since I've seen it, and I was like, you know, I, I I was struggling to remember key details about it, and I was like, okay, but I I just feel like it's not that substantial of a film. It's very funny for what it's worth, and I think that's what it's going to be uh, probably best for you know best uh, watched as it's just something you know something short, something something funny, and that's it. And then you know you kind of put it away and forget about it. But it's it is good for what it is. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I mean, and, and that's the sad thing about it is, it, I mean, and this might be prejudice or whatever you call it on my part, that with this cast, you'd expect something. I, like when I, when I was getting ready to watch this movie, I was expecting a movie like um, 50-50 or Win-Win was last year. You know, right. a, a movie that came out and was had these great actors that would be talked about for Oscars. It would be the one that was remembered. But then I watched it and I realized that wasn't what they were really shooting for. I was just thinking that because of the marquee, you know? Right. Um, oh, yeah, and, yeah. And, I mean, it's 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 a it's a quick eighty minute movie. I know I'm glad I didn't take my wife to see it because um, without giving anything away, the use of the ending is something she particularly hates, and I'm sure a lot of people particularly hate. Mm-hmm. Um, ambiguity might be a word. I don't know. Um, but uh, and and I will give it to Roman Polanski. This is the one of the first movies of his since like Rosemary's Baby that I really liked. Uh, I, I I love Polanski, so I mean I I like pretty much everything he does. Uh, the pianist. I've liked. Uh, I liked the Ghost Rider a couple years ago. I thought that oh, was the pianist. Good. I forgot about that. Yeah, uh, that one. yeah, he's done some stuff the last few years that I've still that I really dig. I think he's actually on a on a bit of a roll. He he seems to be really good at at making these movies that explore dark corners of people's psyches, and this movie kind of does that as well. But uh, I, I don't know. I, I I enjoyed this film quite a bit. I gave it a four out of five. Like I said, not a movie that I'm going to be uh, remembering in a few months probably, but. 
but uh, for what it's worth, it, I had a hell of a time watching it. So, yeah, I, I gave it a three and a quarter. I'm, I wish you probably just moved to a ten point scale, or at least I should, since I keep giving things quarters and three quarters and seven eighths. But I gave it a three and a quarter, uh, just because, you know, like I said, you know, I, I, I haven't worked out whether it's me wanting them in different roles. The movie as itself, if I look at it objectively, was mm-hmm. enjoyable. I, I don't think a lot of people are going to see it, but. You know, right. I, I think that it, the people that do see it will probably enjoy it, especially if they're, you know, parents, which, you know, is, is, is an aspect that we didn't really get to see it through. I, and I, I haven't talked to any parents that have seen it, to be honest with you, I don't think. Um, and I would wonder, like, I'd imagine this is kind of would be funnier to them, but, you know, I, I'd be interested to see. All right. So, uh, so that's our reviews of Carnage. Uh, let's on jump- to Margaret Thatcher. Yeah, let's go on to Margaret Thatcher. I hate I hate talking about this movie. I feel like I've been talking about it for like, well, it's been at least a month, and I'm kind of tired of it. But <laughs> I thought this was actually a spinoff of Iron Man. I was really confused when I started It'd watching be it. Far more interesting if it was. Uh, the Iron Lady stars Meryl Streep uh, as in a biopic uh, about uh, first female British Prime Minister uh, Margaret Thatcher, and it follows her career basically from a. From its beginnings, her beginnings with the, when she first entered Parliament, all the way until the end of her of her uh, her career. I can't remember what year that was. Over some controversial circumstances, but anyway, uh, the film is bracketed by uh, scenes of of uh, of Margaret Thatcher in her in her later stages, where she's suffering from the early early symptoms of Alzheimer's, and she's seeing fla- uh, flashes. Of her of her husband Dennis, uh, played by Jim Broadbent, who's actually really good in this, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. The problem is, I, I think those scenes don't really work. Don't really work all that well, and they're kind of silly. As good as he is in them, I think those scenes are are, are a little crazy. Um, I just can't get the Harry crazy. Potter character out of, out of it, my it, mind it was, when I see him. Yeah, it was really strange. It was really strange. But the, the biggest problem with this movie that I have, and, and I'm not skipping over anything. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I think this movie. Uh, ice skates over Margaret Thatcher's uh, administration, and, and that's not me talking as a as a liberal who thinks that she was a horrible administrator, which I do. It's just, it's just, it's I love how you said that, I'm not doing well, it, but I think well, that. But that's not the reason. The, the oh yeah, reason, I got you. The reason is that the reason is that they don't really go in depth in any part of her career, and and this is a this is a trend we've seen in a lot of biopics lately. Um, I think with Marilyn is one. Uh, Jay Edgar is another. Exactly. And I think I'm, another I'm so one that, that. that takes a really huge character uh, who had a, a, a full life of, full of highs and, and lows and lots of controversy. And in this case, I feel like the screenplay by Abby Morgan uh, doesn't really have a lot of interest in going over the most controversial aspects. And unfortunately, it's the controversy. It's those those hard decisions that Margaret Thatcher made that I might not necessarily agree with. A lot of people didn't agree with, but it's those decisions she made that made her who she was. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this movie kind of skips over those things in favor of presenting the most fluffy version of her they possibly could. And as proof of that, we get this this all this stuff with her in, uh, in her later years, which is designed to make you feel bad for her. And I feel like I feel like those I feel like that's one of the reasons why this movie doesn't work, and it's it's the primary reason why this movie doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and I'm I'm glad that wasn't just me that drew the comparison to Jay Edgar, um, just because and not in just the the glazing over the subject matter, but 
in that the movie was only saved by its lead actor. I mean, the only reason that I like this movie, I mean, if we were talk, when we were talking about best performance of the year, Meryl Streep was one of the ones I mentioned, and this is the main reason, is not, I'd heard Margaret Thatcher's name before, didn't really know what the background was, still not really 100% on everything she did, um, obviously, since we talked about she glazed over a lot of stuff, um, but, I, you know, this movie, she wasn't somebody I was interested in, let's put it that way. It's not, if this was called the Margaret Thatcher story, I would never have turned it on. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I turned I turned it on, was watching, and, and Meryl Streep keeps you so in there with her scenes, and you know the the, the supporting cast even like you were saying with Jim Broadbent, his stuff ends up being silly, and I I had a little trouble, like I said, dissociating him from the Harry Potter character, so I was giggling a little bit even more. But mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it, the, the supporting cast holds their own against a story that I just it feels like it was written. Not with an agenda, but written to sensationalize or something like that. Just the same way I felt about Jay Edgar. Like you know, it was they thought it would make more headlines if if they included more about his you know closet doings or whatever than you know his advancements in law enforcement, which I can understand. It's I not many people would care about the advancements in law enforcement. It's not that interesting. That's just me. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of the same thing I felt with this one. Um, right. So it only gets it only got a two and a half out of five for me because it's only really watchable. It, I mean, it's very watchable because of Meryl Streep. But it's only watchable because of Meryl Streep. See, and I, and I thought her performance was good, but mediocre for her. You know, I, I feel like it was a step down for her, and I felt like there was a lot. There were far too many times where she began channeling Julia Child and not Margaret, Margaret Thatcher, and I, and I just and I was like, okay. And, and I think a lot of the script really kind of hamstrings her a little bit. I mean, she just every now and then they would give her these these little speeches or rah-rah rants she would go on where she would uh you know she would uh spot a bunch of conservative rhetoric for about a minute or two to a room full of empty suits and that was supposed to make up the entirety of her personality you know and i was like that's just not enough i'm yeah. sorry that's not gonna that's not gonna cut it you know and and then when, did when TMZ it really got, produce this movie <laughs> right it's just not good and, and I, I was really kind of surprised to hear that people in in uh you know, Margaret Thatcher's family are are such in such a a dislike for this movie, but I imagine it has a lot more to do with the uh, with the Alzheimer's stuff than than the pre- presentation of her character because it doesn't really present her as a bad person. It presents her as a sympathetic person, which mm-hmm. you know I, I, that seemed to be priority number one was to make her sympathetic. Which, uh, I don't. Did you hear the same st- stuff? I haven't seen any you know actual articles, but I heard. Mm-hmm. Talkings about the fact that that Meryl Streep didn't like Margaret Thatcher, or which seemed weird to me since she would. Why would you choose to play something in a film? But well, I, mean, I, I don't know if that's I th- just. I think there's. I, th- I think there's a lot of people who play characters that they don't necessarily like. Uh, the point is to find a way to make them. No, but I mean she uh, has like a weird distaste for even before she took the role is what I was hearing. That's probably exaggerated. I don't know. You, I haven't seen any actual that's, like variety articles with it. So. That's probably part of the challenge. But I, I, I've taken on a role like that is playing somebody you don't like. And for her, I imagine that it's all about challenges at this point. But uh, but I, but it, it doesn't show in her performance. I mean, it's clear Meryl Streep gives everything she has for the role. I just don't think it was her best. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, you know. And I remember going to the event for the screening where Meryl Streep was, and she was she was very much into the film. Uh, right, or at least it, it very much into playing the character. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think she recognized the film's flaws, though, because she skedaddled out of that screening so fast. <laughs> she probably left a cloud of dust. I mean, it was crazy. She That's got to be tough for actors. 
I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it's gotta be. I mean, think about it. I mean, it was almost like she was apologizing for parts of it, and I was like, yeah, okay. But which, you could tell, but you could tell she she had a genuine like for the character, or, or at least of playing the role. Uh, she believed in the. I mean, because this, this was backed by uh, I can't remember the the women's organization that that really put up the the money for this film. She was she's really big into that. Um, so she was she was happy to support the film and all that stuff too. But I think she could recognize some of the film's flaws. Uh, and, and, I, that, that's amazing to me that it was written by Abby Morgan because Abby Morgan wrote Shame uh, last month, which really? uh, yeah, which is you know a phenomenal seems look like at a, at a things. Well, like, I, well it's obviously two different really things, up. but it seems like two different yeah. like both like really multi personality if you the same person wrote it. Yeah, they're both really intense characters, yeah. you know, who are obsessive in a lot of ways. So there are some surface similarities, but it's just crazy that. Shame is is has such a fantastic script, and this one I just think is kind of half-assed. Yeah, um, I, I do like that they were bringing back the montage. Um, that that was that made me happy. Um, they're they're bringing that back a little bit, but <laughs> you know, um, yeah, like I said, two out of five for me. Uh, two, two and a half out of five, or no? What did I say? Yeah, two and a half out of five is what I got. Um, and now, yeah, did you give your score? Yeah, I, I gave you? it. A, I gave it a two and a half out of five. Also, okay. uh, not a big fan of this. Um, now, in the land of blood and honey, we uh, we ended our last show with with a with a disagreement over personalities, but that's not what matters. <laughs> it matters what the movie was like. Uh, now, I didn't I didn't get a chance to see this one, uh, so you'll have to break it down. But I'm really interested to see if she can hold her own behind the camera. It was really interesting because I was I was writing my review of this movie while we were hosting a, a live stream of Angelina Jolie talking about the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other day, so that was really interesting. So I was listening to her talk about it while I was writing my review, and uh, so I was like, ah, I'm, I hope I'm not tainting my review by listening to her, you know, <laughs> see her on her film. But but it, but it really wasn't. In fact, it just gave me a little bit more context. Uh, and really, I think this is one of the best debut uh, filmmaking performances I've seen in a long time. I think this is great. Uh, and, and really, uh, I, I guess I shouldn't be surprised that Angelina Jolie would would uh, start off with such an easy premise, you know, as something like this. But in, in the Land of Blood and Honey is basically a romance set in the middle of the Bosnian War uh, between a, a Muslim woman and a Serbian soldier. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's not an easy subject at all. In, in fact, she caught a lot of flack while this movie was being made from people uh, who were upset at the central romance because Serbs killed, so many, killed and raped so many Muslims uh, during the war. Uh, but anyway, the film is—it's like I said, it's set in Sarajevo, and it's, t- it's uh, during the Bosnian War. And um, uh, the two women—well, uh, the woman, her name is—I'm uh, gonna say her name wrong, but I think it's Ala or Ayla. But I'm gonna call her Ayla because I can't remember. Uh, and the soldier's name is Daniel, and they have a relationship before the war kicks off. In fact, the film starts with them uh, dancing at a nightclub, and while they're dancing and celebrating a bomb goes off and kills practically everybody in the building. And that's basically the start of the war. Uh, and from that point on, they're separated. And uh, and her family is in one of the apartments is being uh, evacuated. And the people that are being evacuated, I mean, the, the guys, they're basically the lucky ones because they, pretty much every guy who gets evacuated out of there gets met with a bullet in the head. And unfortunately, they're the lucky ones because the women are left to be raped and used and abused basically for the rest of their lives. I mean, it's a slow death. Um, And Ayla is one of those who is separated from her sister, uh, who has a a child, and she's taken to a camp. 
And just as she's about to be raped by a bunch of soldiers, here comes Daniel, uh, who is actually one of the main uh, commanders in the Serbian army, and he rescues her. And he, basically, from there on, he keeps her by his he keeps her by his side, uh, trying to protect her from all the other soldiers. But he can't really protect her from what's going on around her. You know, it's still a, a mental impact. Um, and at some point during the film. This is the interesting thing, and where I give Angelina Jolie so much credit, uh, not only is the film shot well, but the script has a lot of suspense and mystery to it. Because there comes a certain point in the film where the allegiances between Danielle and Ayla, um, they, they, start to, they start to get a little cloudy. Uh, you start to wonder, because Danielle is the son of the ultimate commander of the Serbian army, who is one of these guys who thinks that all Muslims should be wiped off the earth. And he's, he's all for the genetic cleansing that's going on around him. And of course he's not going to stand for his son being with a Muslim woman. So you wonder what kind of guy could kill in the name of, you know, just to earn his father's respect. But if he can do that, why would he ever marry a Muslim woman, you know, knowing it would defy his father. And then for her, how can she be with a guy who is killing and allowing her people to be raped? And has and has basically broken her family apart. So you got you start to get to this point where you don't know where their true loyalties lie. And I think Jolie uh, does a fantastic job of keeping up that air of mystery. You don't know what's really going to happen at the end of the movie. Uh, but she deserves a lot of credit. Uh, the film does not is not an attempt to really examine the Bosnian War. So anybody going in there thinking that's going to be that way is going to be disappointed. But the central romance is fantastic. Uh, I like the little commentary she has. Shaming the rest of the world for the way most of us, most of them kind of sat back and watched as all these atrocities were taking place. But uh, I think this is uh, one of the most confident and assured uh, filmmaking debuts I've seen in a long time. So I gave this a four out of five. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is why you don't speak before you research things, because I just feel like an ass now. Um, mainly because <laughs> I was saying she shouldn't get to talk just because she's a celebrity. But honestly, if you're going to make a film about – if you're going to think enough to make a film about the Bosnian War, something that most of us only know about on headlines, then you must be pretty well-informed, at least I'd imagine. Um, and But it, let me ask you this. The, the impression mm. I got when listening to the story is that it sounded like an ultra-violent take on Romeo and Juliet, kind of. I, I guess. It, I, I never really thought about it that way. I guess there is something to that. Uh, they do. They both both characters do have opposing sides pulling them in different directions uh, and, and basically trying to pit them against one another. So I guess if you look at it in, in that way, in that context, it, that is that, that 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 is fairly accurate. But uh, I, I did not think about it that way. You're right. Well, which is actually the reason I would give her more cred for it, even because that's that story's been adapted more than. And anything else? It's, I mean, we've got we had Romeo and Juliet last year, for God's sakes, which is an awesome movie, by the way. Um, and and to be able to take that core story, like I was saying earlier, I'm not look up what that actual thing is if I'm going to keep using it. Uh, the, you can only tell seven stories. There are all some variation of that. Um, you know, if that's true, to be able to make it so people like it and don't even realize that it's that formula going on, um, you know, that's that's that says a lot about your filmmaking abilities. Right. Great. Now I gotta go see this depressing sounding movie. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's not, yeah, there's there's not a lot of happiness in this movie. In fact the first uh maybe ten minutes is about all the happiness you're gonna get. Uh, it all <laughs> kinda makes me wonder. Neuron is pretty depressing. But, like, like uh, it, it's it all surprising. Like, like some kind of uh 
penance or something for her to 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 come back. Like you know, I I made the joke about the Billy Bob Thornton years and all that stuff. But you know, if, if you have ten billion dollars mm-hmm. and you're married, to, well, obviously you, we'd be married to Angelina Jolie, but she's married to the male version of that, Brad Pitt. Mm-hmm. You know, wouldn't you your time be better for you and for your selfish personal reasons? But better spent on a beach in Malibu. I, I think I think if you're I think if you're a certain type of person, then yeah, and there's plenty of them that do stuff like that. Yeah, they're they're rich and they just kind of sit back and they don't get involved in anything. But I think it's I think it speaks to her humanitarian heart that she doesn't do stuff like that. Exactly. She, yeah, that's she goes exactly out and she and she she wants to she wants to make a difference. Uh, she wants to do things to help people in other countries and here in America. And now she's she's taking that and. And, uh, and 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 mixing it with her film career, which I think is, uh, I'm surprised she has. Well, she has. She did do it sooner. She did make that movie Beyond Borders a while back. I mean, she didn't make it, but she was in it, and uh, it was a lot of it was uh, based on her life as a as a humanitarian. So I mean, so she's and, been kind of doing this thing for a long time. So she she consciously has the ability to sit at home on her butt, watch TV all day, do nothing, and eat bonbons. But she goes out and helps people, and on top of that. She is apparently very smart because she has learned that if you want to spread the word and get people to know about something, make movies. Don't put it on the news where people will exactly. ignore it. Exactly. I, she, I am going to stop talking about this I'm just going to prove myself more wrong. Yeah, she's, she's, she's done a really good job uh, drawing people's attention uh, to things. And she knows that the best way to do that is to use her celebrity. You know, So it's, it's really smart for her to do that. Uh, she deserves a lot of credit. She, uh, clearly, she spent a lot of these years learning from people you know mm-hmm. you don't make this kind of debut without taking a lot of notes and yeah. working with some, working with some some great folks okay i get uh, it i was wrong i already said i was wrong you <laughs> keep telling me how wrong i was <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it, that was a lot of fun though. and and that live and the live stream we hosted uh which a lot of people attended and i was surprised considering i didn't put anything out about it until about 20 minutes before it started because uh, I was at I was at home, but uh, it was a lot of people attended it and, and watched it, and and I, I liked a lot of things she had to say. So good stuff, fun. good stuff. Well, um, I'm I'm converted uh, to Jolieism, um, and uh, I, I actually <laughs> I, I I don't think I've ever consciously said I want to see a depressing movie, but uh, I'm I'm interested to see it now. So is, is it in just limited release around here, like art house theaters I, or what? You know, I'm not sure where it's playing around here. It, can, it did come out this past Friday here in D.C. Uh, I think you could probably find it, considering who's uh, who wrote and directed it. You could probably find it at most theaters right now. Uh, so it should be it should be in most places in D.C. Well, it looks like it's in 18 theaters, so it's a good thing we got it already. And those 18 theaters had a pretty good attendance rate. So yeah. you should probably check that out. Speaking of that, we're going to, for the first time in a long time, hit up the box office in oh, yeah. first in fruition or in full. I need, <laughs> yeah, I need a thesaurus. It's been at least a month, I think. Hey, well, uh, I, box office we touched on. I know we haven't done DVDs in a month. That's what I was talking to everybody about. That uh, I'm not sure now if they heard because it might have been my mic that was broken. Um, is that we haven't covered DVDs and news and so long that we're just going to start from last week. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you run through those then. But uh, let's go ahead and do the top, and do the box office real fast from over. All right. Uh, and number one was uh, Contraband, the movie we talked about earlier, uh, which opened at $24.1 million. It surprised a lot of people uh, who figured that it would probably uh, be just behind Beauty and the Beast, uh, which also came out this week. Uh, I figured nobody needs to hear us review that movie. Uh, hey, do, um, real quick, do, do, <laughs> in, in budgets, do they factor in actor salaries? I believe they do, but I could be wrong. 
because this is budgeted at $25 million. And if you were right. to I heard it was closer, earlier. I heard it was closer to 40 is what I heard. Oh, okay. Okay. I heard it was closer to 40. That would make that would make sense because you got Mark Wahlberg, Kate Beckinsale, Gina Byron, BC, Ben Foster, which I know aren't twenty million dollar picture actors, but they got to be you know making five, yep. three million they, something like that. Yep, Diego Luna costs a little bit of money. There's a lot of people in this movie, uh, yeah. but yeah. So this one opened at twenty four point one million dollars, exceeding expectations. Uh, so that one's a good start for. Uh, I can't remember who the company was behind this one. Uh, number two is. Uh, Universal, thank you. Uh, number two is Beauty and the Beast 3D, uh, another Disney re-release. Uh, there's about two or three more that are coming out in the next year or so. I think the next one is Finding Nemo. Uh, but Beauty and the Beast 3D opened at $18.5 million. Uh, you know, 21 years ago, back in 1991, uh, Beauty and the Beast had $396 million. So, hey, just tack this on to the total. Let, well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's not like they're taking an L <laughs> on anything they make here. Um, no, but. No. Answer me, riddle me this, Batman. If yeah. we if we move this release back to say twentieth of December, right before Christmas, how much bigger is that number? I think it's huge. I, I don't understand why they waited till now. I mean, there's, <laughs> because, they, they, they got, because they got a bunch of them coming out, and they can afford to do that. Uh, plus, Disney owns own so many companies. I probably don't know some of the self competition <laughs> to be putting against but, themselves. Right. Disney will probably be going up against themselves. Also, yeah, they're not going up against themselves right now. Uh, number three is Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, which is now at $186.7 million, doing very well. It's the juggernaut, uh, bitch. Yeah, I think it's getting close to $500 million uh, worldwide or something like that, so it's doing really well. Um, no, number four is another film that came out this week that we ignored completely, which is Joyful Noise. And this is the movie that had <laughs> Queen Latifah and Dolly Parton, and it looked like Glee mixed with Sister Act, and it just looked terrible. Uh, and from most of the things I've heard, it's it sound it was terrible. Uh, so I <laughs> it opened at eleven point three million dollars, which is pretty shitty. Uh, so I mean I don't know what they were expecting. I guess they were expecting to get the the Glee crowd, but uh, you throw in somebody like Dolly Parton in there, what kind of draw is she? I, well, it, like you said for uh, Beauty and the Beast, but go back twenty years, <laughs> maybe you'll have a little bit more draw. Nineteen seventy one. But yeah, at Dolly Parton, nobody's. I mean, even when when we were coming up, the joke was Dolly Parton has big boobs. Everybody knew her for that. But nobody's talked about her big boobs since she turned seventy four, ten, <laughs> twenty years ago. You know, but because well, that's the only got, thing I could say. Bigger, she's got bigger hair and smaller boobs now. I mean, the boobs are still big, but they're smaller, uh, and her hair got bigger. So, yeah, she, she her her time really should have been the nineties when that that was in. Um, you know, she's somewhere in the eighties and now mixed up. I don't know. But the only thing I can say about this movie because. I saw one trailer, and I'm just looking at the poster now. Mm. Does it annoy you when they have all of the main characters that are put above the marquee, uh, you know, their names are on the poster, but they don't line up with it? Like, they have the dude, and then Kiki Palmer, and then Dolly Parton, and then Queen Latifah, but the names that are under each one of them are other people's names. Right, That's yeah. just poor poster making. I don't get that either. I give it a one out of five for that. <laughs> Probably deserves it anyway. Um, number five is Sherlock Holmes, The Game of Shadows. Uh, still doing, still doing very well. It's up to 170 million dollars. Uh, it's not going to match what the original did, but hey, whatever. 170 million. We're going to see Sherlock Holmes three soon. Uh, number six is The Devil Inside, the film that fucked America last week, uh, <laughs> earning over 39 uh, times its production budget uh, for a film that nobody liked. Uh, the movie had like an F cinema score from audiences and like a seven percent from critics. On Rotten Tomatoes, no one liked this movie. We were everybody was tricked. 
And even no, the movie first admitted first. that the, the Vatican or the Pope or, or somebody doesn't like it. <laughs> yeah. And, and then the, Billy yeah. Graham. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So uh, people were smart and did not go to see it in the second week. It dropped like 70%. Uh, you want to know but, the sad thing? Hmm. At a 76% drop off and $8 million on the week, it still made eight times its budget in its yeah. second week. No, exactly. <laughs> so, sick. I mean, like. Like I've, I've been saying, Paramount doesn't give a shit what we say about this movie right nope. now. They didn't give a shit as of Friday night, last Friday night, you know, with that first weekend. They didn't give a shit after that. They had already made 20 times their money. So <laughs> so uh, every, do- every dollar they earned at this point is gravy. They don't care. Um, number seven is The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, uh, which is up to $88 million now. And, you know, it's probably going to creep its way to $100 million domestic. Uh, what I wrote on the on the on the post about this, which is what I, I find most interesting, uh, they just they pretty much greenlit the sequels at this point, right? Uh, and the guy from Sony, the exec who who was talking about it, was saying we expect the Dra- Girl with the Dragon Tattoo to ultimately make three hundred million dollars total worldwide, which means they expect it to make two hundred million dollars on the foreign market. Uh, as it ain't of right that way right now. No, as of right now, it has like I think twenty nine million dollars on the foreign market. Uh, it's been out for a few weeks now. Uh, it's it's not doing well. And I remember when this movie first came out, and we talked about it, and we said the same thing. Like, mm. we don't know how this is going to do in the foreign market. I mean, they've already seen this movie, you know, and they loved it. And it was only like two years ago. So why would they pay to see it again, an American version? Well, that's like asking how did The Departed <laughs> do in Japan or wherever it was first released as um, whatever it was released as. I forget now. But yeah. you know, it it, it it wouldn't make sense for. Well, I shouldn't say that because we're going, we're watching remakes of our own movies that are in our own language uh, for the last twenty years. But you know, you would think logically that it wouldn't make sense for somebody to see it overseas. Right. So it, unless they point, really really like subtitles. Right. I don't know what Sony's thinking about right now. So unless something suddenly changes, I, I don't see where they came up with this $300 million number. Um, number eight uh, is Alvin and the Chipmunks, Chipwrecked, which is up to $118 million. Uh, man, I don't know how, why people keep going to those things, but they keep doing well. So uh, I'll tell you why right now. Um, it, it, my nephew will not sit down for any cartoon, any anything. <laughs> you put a chipmunk in front of his ass, he's he's happy-go-lucky all day long. The kids love these things. I mean, the same way we did. Um, I mean, the, the human cast I can't say much for, but, uh, you know, that, that all that money that you're seeing right there, that's 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 mommy mommy money. <laughs> you know, mommy yeah, taking no, the kids it, to the, uh, th- exactly. the theater. Exactly. Um, number nine is War Horse, which is up to $65 million. This is obviously a disappointment. Uh, for a Steven Spielberg movie, but you got to expect it'll get a boost uh, at the Oscars, assuming it gets nominated for something. I imagine it'll it'll find its way into one of the best picture slots, whether it deserves it or not. Uh, hint, it doesn't, but it'll get probably get in there anyway. Uh, so it'll probably get a boost from that. Um, number ten is The Iron Lady, which is the film we talked about. It's only at like 800 theaters right now, so but it has a really good uh, per site average. And uh, it's up to five point nine million dollars right now, so it's it's in the middle of a slow rollout. Yeah, I, and it's actually um, one of the closest ties for tenth and eleventh and eighth and ninth place because I the the place I get my numbers is is uh, has it different than you, where I got War Horse and eighth and Alvin the Chipmunk. It looks like there's about thirty three thousand dollars missing between War Horse and Alvin the Chipmunk, and about eighty thousand dollars, which sounds like a lot of money between the other two, but. When you figure these movies make five million dollars, that's not you know it's that's like seventy five votes in the presidential election or something like that, which works out if you're George yeah. Bush. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I, I'm going to give Warhorse the popular vote. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm going to play the Supreme Court and, uh, and take that and take any titles away from me right now uh, unilaterally. So. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that, that, whatever that, that arrangement of vocabulary that you just spun out reminded me exactly of the game they play in RoboCop where they nuke each other. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was talking to a buddy about uh, Starship Troopers, and we were talking about um, you know Verhoeven did both of those movies, and it's it's kind of sickening the amount of people that don't know they're cynical, right? Or whatever you want to call them, like they, they don't know. To that be they're fair, pro- I didn't I didn't at first either. Well, when yeah, I, first, we I first watched it. Yeah, I know that's right. We were young, but when I first watched, it, I was like, "These movies are fucking terrible," you know, <laughs> they're, they're awful. And then I got older and I watched them a bunch, and I was like, "God, these movies are so fucking smart." <laughs> and I was See, the funny part is, the funny part is that shows how much smarter you were about movies from the get go. Because when I was a kid, I was like, "Man, they're shooting things, and it's all blowing up everywhere." And I watch it now, and I'm like, "Man, they're shooting things, and it's all blowing up everywhere." <laughs> On the other hand, the sequels, those just plain suck. Yeah. Those, Terrible and not smart. They're just bad. Yeah. Well, <laughs> those things are, are released directly to VHS, so I mean, I don't know yeah. who's watching those. You know, it's funny that I'm looking at the DVD list. We might as well move into DVDs real quick. But I'm looking at the DVD DVD list for this week. There's one. And, uh, well, there's a lot. There's a lot of movies that are coming out. They're not all good. But there's a lot of movies coming <laughs> out. But I but I found but one that's funny that's that's coming out this week is uh, the Tuskegee Airmen. Which is the HBO movie that had uh, Lawrence Fishburne in it, and this is a this is actually a really good movie. No, that uh, I didn't, that's not on my list. I'm looking at for uh, I'm looking at I'm looking at for the 17th. Uh, Kiki Mer- Airman, uh, and this is a movie that uh, it's actually a really good movie, an HBO movie, and I can't remember what year it came out, but it had to be okay. 1995 is when it came out, but uh, it's coming. This is coming out the same week as as Red Tails is coming out on. Uh, in theaters, uh, the George Lucas produced Tuskegee Air- Airmen movie, which is getting panned already by people. Uh, so uh, hopefully, <laughs> so hopefully well, there won't be too many comparisons uh, to, from Red Tails to Tuskegee Airmen, because uh, by the sounds of it, Tuskegee Airmen's a lot better. I'm a I'm a white Star Wars nerd, and I and I'm offended by the fact of, of what did you you heard what George Lucas said, right? I've heard everything you said about this. Yeah, movie. and and on and on top of that, like first of all, that's just stupid to say. It's 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 a bad thought. It's a bad thing to say. It's bad all around. But second of all, who are you to tell the the plight of the black man in World War Two? <laughs> what I is your no problem with that. that? That's not the problem with it. I have, I have no problem with him wanting to make this movie and tell this story. If he wants to make the movie, but I mean, I'm saying, I I just you know I I liked we um not we were soldiers um I, what was the one about the the uh, the guys uh, Miracle of Saint Anna Miracle Saint Anna and granted I know Spike Lee doesn't know what it was like in World War Two, um but. You know, it, it, I, I I don't know how to put it, but it, it's just like it to doesn't seem fair, like he would have the right to pass it. Or something. I don't know. To, well, no, he's he's wanted to make this movie for like twenty five years, so he mm-hmm. has the passion for it. But and to, and to be fair, he has a, a black director and a black writer uh, on it, so I mean they, they might have a bit produce more perspective. It? Yeah, he just produces it. Oh well, that that's no, well that changes everything. I, I read that the article I wrote. He it said he was the writer, which is never good anyway. No, um, uh, John John Ridley. John Ridley wrote it, I believe. Uh, well, so yeah, he's just producing. But, he's just giving money to it. That's fine. He's producing. He did do he did do all the reshoots on it though, because uh, Anthony Hemingway, the the director, he had to leave to shoot uh, the HBO show Treme. So George Lucas did do reshoots. So he does have a hand in it. Have you but, seen uh, that? Tim Tim Gordon always talks about that show. 
I watched the, I watched about half the first season, and while it's, it has uh, probably the best cast on TV, uh, I ultimately got bored. Oh, but so. yeah, well, that that kind of sucks though, because um, I, I they were making such a big deal about Lucas being a member of it, and I assumed it was it might be a publicity thing to get him to do exactly what it did to me. Is you see, the best part of the Star Wars movies for me was the dogfights. You know, mm-hmm. the, the way because nobody shoots in the cockpit like he does. And, right. and the way he does everything like that, that's like his main good thing. I know it's cockpit shots. That yeah. sounds like something in a porn movie. But, um, yeah. you know, it, it, and now he didn't write or direct it. I wonder, I hope he had at least – it looked from the trailers like he had influence because it looked like, you know, Red 5 was coming in with an old-school World War II helmet on. Yeah, no, the uh, the dogfighting scenes look great. Now, I've heard they, they are pretty fantastic. But uh, all the yeah. stuff that, I, that, that, that looked terrible in the trailers I hear is terrible, which is – them on the grounds talking, which is <laughs> they say the the dialogue is really bad. And so it's the in, the, in the trailers, it looks and sounds bad. It's so. going to be the Tuskegee Pearl Harbor then, <laughs> you know, something good, like that. Because that movie has good dogfights. Like, and, and I'm a, that's that's where I'm biased. Is if there's something good in a movie that I like a lot outside of the movie, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna forget about the bad stuff pretty easily. Like Pearl Harbor, I still love because I love Kate Beckinsale's are at her hottest, and they're they're flying <laughs> P51 Mustangs. And taking down the Red Baron or whatever, and it's, it's awesome. Right. I just don't need George Lucas to come out there and be like, "Well, if this movie doesn't do well, you know, I, this may hold back the the, the African American uh, uh, movement. You know, not movement, but the but the African American uh, film movement. We won't see any more Tyler Perry's and things like that." I was like, "Man, come on! Don't put that much. Don't 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 blow this movie up that much. You know what I mean? It's just." Because that's a, it's an outright threat, basically. <laughs> well, I mean, he's acting as if like you know, African American cinema will die if if Red Tails isn't a success. And I know a lot of people have tried to make excuses or explain what he's saying, but to me, it, it just sounded like a uh, a raging egotist blowing up his movie. That's all it sounded like to me. So, and and, yeah. George, and based on his history, I think there's more evidence to back me up than anybody else. So, <laughs> in, in all fairness, the two best Jews in the Star Wars universe were black. That's, in all fairness, Mace Windu, Lando Calrissian, you don't get cooler than that. Yeah, well, uh, also, blue, as, as, as bad as they as bad as they were, Lando never hit nothing in those movies, by the way. And uh, and Mace Windu guys ass thrown out a window. By that that Mace thing so. is true. Lando didn't have to do nothing because he was just cool. Lando just plain didn't. As cool as he was, he was like that really cool guy. Who you never see with a chick. He's like, yeah. like he seems like he's really hot. Like this dude, man, this dude might probably get all sorts of tail, but you never see him with nobody. And I think that's who Lando was. You know what? You know what it is? It's his. his, his he's got that <laughs> that silky smooth voice. That's why he was able to sell some. What, what, what was that? that Cold forty five. Cold forty five. Yeah. Cold forty five. Have yeah. you ever had Cold forty five? Yeah, it tastes like shit. It's it ass fuck like, ass nasty. Like, yeah, but he's, it tastes oh, like, he's sold a lot of it. Yeah, you see, and he sold a lot of it just based on pure personality. Yeah, and, that, and that's who Lando was. He was he was a uh, Billy Williams selling Colt forty five to a to a bunch of people on different planets. But uh, in terms of the same thing, the ladies man. In terms of hot chicks, mm-hmm. he, didn't, he didn't get nothing. No. They, they, yeah, they yeah, wouldn't uh, ladies man. They would have had him uh, uh, hit uh, Princess Leia at least one point. You know, just one. well, I guess you could call it a girl. I don't know. His co-pilot looked like a sideways vagina face. Knee and numb. And in, in the salt on the Death Star? Yeah. Guy that just goes, eh, eh, eh. That yeah. guy. Yeah. I, I know his guy. name. I'm going to go put my man card somewhere and uh, hang with my friends in the dungeons of dragons. 
All right, so let's jump into the DVDs for the week of the 17th, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, we were already okay. talking about that. I just went off on a tangent. Yeah, um, not, yeah. We, take, I, go to com now. Put Bucky Larson, Born to Be a Star, on your pre-order list. I'm telling you right now. Fuck that. Is that – I didn't even see that one. No, dude, we get money for that when they do that. <laughs> oh, they can buy whatever they want. I'm just <laughs> – I didn't say buy because it's good. List, I just said actually. buy it. I, I didn't even – I don't even see that on there, but – uh the, the, obviously, the the best movie coming out this week is The Ides of March. Uh, this is the George Clooney's uh, fourth directorial effort, I think. And other than Good Night and Good Luck, I think this is probably his best. Uh, this is a political thriller with Ryan Gosling and Paul Giamatti and Philip Seymour Hoffman and Versa Tomei and Jeffrey Wright and Evan Rachel Wood. God, the cast is fantastic. And Clooney himself is in it yeah. uh, in, a, in, a, in a small but very important role. He's not in this on screen very much. But his character is uh is is basically a part of everything. Uh, it, it's just a great thriller. Uh, See it on Blu-ray if you haven't seen it. I think a lot. I think this one got skipped over even by us. You know, we we reviewed mm-hmm. it, but it was a busy review day. We didn't talk about it much afterwards. It's a great movie. Jeffrey it's, Wright can do no wrong by me. Is that was I didn't mean to do that pun. Um, but even, he's even good in Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. He's he's even good in Shaft. <laughs> he, he, he was good. He, he was good as a villain in Shaft, but um, you know, it, and it, it's just a great movie, and it puts George Clooney in where I always envisioned him at this stage in his life, which is in uh, uh, you know a, a political role. I mean, he, the dude, I don't understand how he doesn't get into, into. He could be president. He could be the next Reagan, uh, meaning actor turned president. Um, just based on the dude's. Do you remember when he was hosting that award show a couple yeah. years ago? It's just a pure charisma. Oozing off that dude would would bring peace to the Middle East. Right. I think I know who's going on my man crush list next. Also <laughs> coming out, um, abduction. Um, Taylor Lautner, Taylor Lautner's abs, and that's about it. Um, yeah. It must is is Robin Robin Williams didn't die or anything, did he? Because um, or maybe it's his birthday. Because Good Morning Vietnam and Dead Poet Society are both yep. in Blu-ray. Uh, Traffic's in <laughs> Blu-ray. Uh, you said abduction, right? The Taylor Lautner movie. Yes, yes. Uh, Dutch. Uh, I Ed love Ed. I love Dutch. I know I know a lot of people uh, don't think it's uh, John Hughes' best. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's a John Hughes movie, but uh, I, I like Dutch a lot. But then again, I was always a huge Ed O'Neill fan until oh. he started until he started being on Modern Family. Now I don't give a shit about him. Well, I like Sophie, parts of Sophia Varaga, but um, yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah, parts of her. But <laughs> I wish she she's I, and I did a lot of talking about her on uh, during the Golden Globes last night. She seemed to be everywhere, and I, I'm sick of that voice. Yeah, I'm sick. I'm sick. I'm actually sick of her personality too. Because uh, she's got a personality. Would, yeah, I know, right? I wish she would shut up. And every time I hear her talk, I just keep thinking about that movie Chasing Poppy from like. Oh, that was her. Oh yeah, she was in Holy that, and, and she's doing the same antics she did in that movie. And she's just, I'm like, why is it funny now? Like it was, it wasn't funny back then. Right. It hasn't been funny for years. Why is it funny now to you people? I, I don't get it. But eh, maybe whatever. maybe if we put it in a TV show and stretch it out over a long, long time, it'll get better. Exactly. Um, I, I, I like that. We were talking about that this weekend because we were watching uh, Little Giants. Uh, I can't believe I said that. I love Little Giants. I'm not going to bash that. Um, but that was a, a, a shock to me when I first saw that movie because I had only known Ed O'Neill from as Al Bundy, and then he comes in as this slick, you know, wealthy, yeah. um, smooth talking guy, and I was like, well, who is this guy? But anyway, um, Courageous is- comes out on DVD this week. Uh, this is the. Uh, Kind of, huh? I don't think our lists have ever been this different. Really? I, yeah. I'm not showing that either. 
Yeah, Courageous comes out this week. Uh, this is the movie made from the the uh, guys who made Fireproof, that Kirk Cameron uh, kind of religious movie from a couple years ago that was a hit. Uh, Courageous was also uh, a big hit as well. Uh, this one has to do with law enforcement officers. I thought um, that was Fireproof. That's what I said, Fireproof. Oh, I think I think okay, gotcha. No, Fireproof. Fireproof was is made by the people who made Fireproof, but this movie is Courageous, and oh. it deals with uh with uh law enforcement. I haven't seen any of these, uh, but they seem to be doing. You can never really tell with uh, with religious movies because, yeah. like, they, they, you know, every you know Baptist church in the, in the states is going to play it at their Sunday sermon or whatever. But um, so you can't tell okay. if it's actually good. I know I watched the uh, the the Left Behind books while, while they are full of of you know Oof. preachy stuff. There's actually a good story in there. So I mean, if you could strip the religion out of that rapture stuff, I think that there's a good story. For everybody, regardless of your creed, um, you know to watch because there's good stuff in there that you'd like. But then I watched the movie, you know, just because I read the books. Why not? It was atrociously bad, yeah. and, and it got the same kind of like everybody. You know, there was talk about it like there is for Fireproof and everything, but not as much. So yeah, we'll see. Oh man, I, I was looking at the list: Sliders, the fifth and final season on DVD. Oh, I do the first season Sliders, of that show. I was I, all I, about I, it. I own the first two seasons on DVD. Sliders was my favorite show back when it came on. Uh, such a brilliant concept that we've seen mimicked and aped by other shows so many times uh, afterwards. But uh, Sliders did it first and did it best. And, and But by the fifth season, the show was awful. I mean, it had been jacked by uh, from Fox over to Sci-Fi Channel and... They oh, just God. did all types of terrible things to it, you know. They they ruined the concept, which you know, and, uh, and they replaced the everybody. The Sabrina Lloyd, one of my favorite actresses, was on there, and she was kicked off the show. Uh, John Rice Davies was gone. Everybody was gone. Everybody who was any good on the show was gone. The only person who was left was Quivant Derrick, and I think Carrie Wurr too. Yeah, Carrie Wurr was still who was there. The main character that played in Stand by Me he was he Jerry O'Connell. Yeah, Jerry, Jerry O'Connell. O'Connell. Did they, did they replace him great. with his uglier brother? They replaced him with his brother for a while. And then did they, they really? Replaced... I was just joking. No, they did. <laughs> Charlie O'Donnell was was the star of the show for a while. In fact, oh, for hilarious. a while for a while they were both on there. And then Jerry left, and it was Charlie. And then Charlie left, and then they just had a bunch of random uh, white guys in the. Now, movie if, if Charlie O'Donnell leaves your show, <laughs> you might be in trouble. Yeah, no, it was it got really really bad, uh, really terrible. They he just totally lost Ronald McDonald concept. at a kid's birthday party in in my McDonald's last week. <laughs> Oh man, it's just it's just horrible. But uh, I, I, every time I see anything on Sliders, it just make it just reminds me of how great that show was and still could be if somebody would start it over and and use the concept for what it was meant to be. That was very X Files for me. Like X Files, I was yep. all about it the first couple of seasons, and then I kind of drifted <laughs> off because it slowly got worse. But Sliders, I, I remember the the first season of that like it was I, when it came on Netflix. I was psyched. <clears throat> I was happy. Oh wow! One of my favorite movies of last year is coming out, and uh, it still isn't coming out in DC. And I'm, I'm, I guess now that it's out on DVD, I can pretty much uh, guarantee that it's not coming out in DC at all or anywhere. And that's Dirty Girl. In fact, I had a chance to talk to the, the director of Dirty Girl uh, mm-hmm. last year. Uh, but this is the movie that stars Juno Temple as a promiscuous girl in a small town uh, in the 1980s, uh, and uh, she goes off on a road trip with her uh, homosexual uh, best friend. And they experience all sorts of adventures, but it, it's a it's a really fun, smart, little raunchy uh, uh, film. But it's very, very funny and very insightful. Uh, and I, I just love Juno Temple, so she's like one of my favorites. 
I just uh, can't pass a movie called Dirty Girl. Yeah, no, it, it's really good. It's really good. There's um, going to be a lot of confused people if this ever plays on Cinemax after 12. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah do we still have that interview for, with uh, Abe Sylvia? Do we still have that? I'm sure we – It was. did we put it on the site? No. Yeah, I'm sure I, we, I have everything saved so that you've ever sent me. So. This would be a good time to put it on there. Yeah, it, I, I'll, I'll, I'll check check my email and pull pull it down. We'll give, have it up tomorrow for you guys to check it out while you buy it from punchdrunkcritics.com and watch it while you listen to our audio, or Travis's audio interview of it. Wow, uh, Bad Girls is coming out on Blu-ray. Is that the Drew Barrymore? Yeah, she movie? was hot in that movie. Yeah, she was. Look at yeah. Madeline Stowe, Mary Stewart Masterson, Andy McDowell, and Drew Barrymore all dressed like hot cowgirl chicks. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing they needed in that movie was Sharon Stone from Quick and the Dead. Oh, you, you want to talk about a movie I love, man. I, oh, you do? I love Quick and the Dead. It was on the TV the other day. I was like, I was sitting there watching. I was like, man. I love that movie. If anybody saw me sitting here watching this as much as oh, I enjoyed it, they would be making oh, fun man. of me. But that we movie, even in, um, what's, his, what's his dude's name that played Bishop in the Aliens? I always forget his name. Oh, his, Lance Henderson. Yeah, Lance Anderson, his character, the uh, with the cards on him, and the, the gambler guy, yeah, yeah the, well, the liar, the liar guy. <laughs> yeah, the, the the reason why the movie's so good is that they're all, it's just a, a a town full of villains. It's like Deadwood, you know. And yeah. It's like get all the bad guys from Deadwood and make them have a shootout with each other. And then, exactly. And if it's I ever, a lot of fun. If I ever talk to Leonardo DiCaprio, he'd probably hate me for it, but I'd have to ask him. About I that would one. ask him about that movie too. I would. I would ask him about what was it like playing. Uh, Playing the kid in uh, <laughs> and, 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 what like, did Stone's boobies feel like? Really? Like, <laughs> you're asking me about about Quick and the Dead, really? But, you know what? Like, that's, probably, that's probably one that he really likes. You know, deep down inside, and he'll probably he probably like, yeah. I know we ever talked about that one. Good job. Yeah, I'll, I'll ask him. So, what are the chances of there being a Quick and the Dead too? Oh wait, your character died. No, so even though it's not being released this week, I'm sure it's out. Go buy Quick and the Dead from PunchdrunkCritics.com because go Gene Hackman in the hospital. And, and I, you know what? And I, Once we get off of here, I'm going to go buy it on Blu-ray because I don't have it on Blu-ray. I have it on like the first DVD copy that, that ever came out for it. I'm going to go get it on Blu-ray now, though. Oh, man, now you're making me buy it on Blu-ray. <laughs> what, what, can, let, me, let me ask you a question, Like, and, and this, is, this might detract from sales, but can you honestly, honestly <laughs> tell the difference between Blu-ray and DVD on every movie? I know I can't, but I still won't buy a DVD for the life of me. If, if they sell me my favorite movie um, for a dollar on DVD, I'll pay $20 on Blu-ray. I, I can see the difference, but I really don't care that much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I'm like... I I pretty much just want the movie. Uh, I'm not really concerned right. with, with all that stuff. Now, certain movies I will buy on Blu-ray first, and they tend to be the the technical movies, the special effects heavy movies. Yeah, I first own those on Blu-ray. But regular stuff, like I'll probably buy Quick and the Dead on Blu-ray, uh, just because it's a lot of action in it. But uh, like I have like like I have duplicity. I, I don't have that on Blu-ray. I have that on on DVD. You know, I have certain movies I just don't feel like it's necessary. Like I wouldn't go buy Clerks on Blu-ray. What am I gonna do that for? You gotta, you gotta teach me how to do that because I, I, I can't buy DVDs consciously now. Even though I, did, even, even clerks. You know, I, I would buy World's Wildest Police Chases on Blu-ray because it has to be Blu-ray. It has to, all those little cute little perfect blue containers have to fit on my shelf. Um, last, last movie that's coming out that might only appeal to you and I of everybody that's listening is uh, the WWE TLC tables, letters, chairs. I, dude, I have rekindled my love for wrestling since Netflix put all these. Um, that's good. Since Netflix put all these uh, um, documentaries, yeah. um, man, I mean, granted, not not modern day wrestling right now, but it's back from what I what I used to watch in the nineties and eighties. I'm playing WWE All Stars whenever I can. 
Yeah, uh, I've been playing WWE 12 like I usually do. So, uh, ooh, the replacement killers is on. Nice. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, we actually just bought a, t- a new TV, so I'm not sure. I like, saw that. Did, did you get rid of the one on Craigslist? We got rid of the one on Craigslist. Sold it today. Uh, so yeah, we just bought a new uh, 55 inch uh, HD. It just looks it's gorgeous. Uh, and, and right <laughs> Is now, that why I'm, you're so distracted right now? <laughs> I am distracted. I am distracted because Chow Yun Fat's about to kill somebody in the replacement killers. Uh, yeah, and I'm, and I'm waiting for Mira Sorvino to come on there. I don't think there's a cooler hitman in the history of the world than um, than uh, Chow Yun Fat, and that, that's pretty much the only role he played for a long time. If you want a, a movie, a, a segue movie in the subtitles, watch The Killer, or um, oh right. my God, it, what's the other one? Uh, sorry, uh, my favorite subtitle movie, and now I can't think of it. Um, hardboiled, hardboiled. Uh, hard, yeah, hardboiled is a very good one. Hardboiled is probably easier to watch than the killer. Uh, more action, uh, and it has all the. If you've ever watched um, like Mission Impossible Two and Face Off, and you don't know who John Woo is, watch that right. movie, and you will see all these. I, I did this with my wife. I made her watch it, and I was like, I was like, watch, watch things. You'll notice them from other movies, like the doves and the double face things. So, right. It's so unabashedly his style. It's awesome. Right, I and mean, he even put the shit in Mission Impossible too. Yeah, when he directed it, you know, he put the doves in there. But, but uh, yeah, yeah go see a the door. go see a Better Tomorrow, uh, which is John Woo and uh, and Chai Yun Fat. Uh, fantastic film. I mean, those two are. This one I have. Not I wish they. Oh yeah, go better. see go go check out a Better Tomorrow. It's it's just as good as The Killer and Hardboiled, if not better. But uh, but yeah, uh, those two together, I wish they could still do. I wish they still did stuff together, but they really don't. Yeah. You know, you don't really get to see much of John Woo anymore. Although he's he's back, he's back making films in Hong Kong and Chai Yun Fat. He hasn't made a movie here in a minute that I can think of. Yeah, uh, I mean he, he so. was in was, was he was in Red Cliff for one of those, wasn't he? Chai Yun? Yeah, he's he's, he's done some Chinese movies. But I I, what, what upsets me? Oh, un- because, unfortunate, but, oh unfor- unfortunately, yeah, he was in a uh, Dragon Ball Evolution in 2009. Oh, well, that's actually that's but, uh, what I was going to say. <laughs> I was going to say, sadly, and not for me because I like this movie. It's Bulletproof Monk. I know uh, all you guys hate it, but that, that'll be what he's remembered for last. But, well, that just Trump, that throws that out the door. I totally forgot that he was in Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End. You know that? Oh, that's I right. Totally, I totally forgot about that. He was part of the uh, Pirate Council. Captain Sal Fang. Totally forgot about that. Yeah, he wasn't, again, he wasn't a bad Caribbean. Asian stereotype at all. Pirates of the Caribbean, forgetful. You know they're forgettable. Yeah, and that was the and that was the one I liked the most. Uh, I like World at World's End better than better than all the other ones. I know a lot of people didn't, but uh, yeah, I, and and I still can't remember shit about it. So yeah, I always whatever. liked the first one just because the other ones always felt like um, they kind of felt like the Star Wars prequels. Like oh, well, we have to bring back everybody from the last movie. Um, you know, just because we're not really sure what people like, so we'll just bring back everything and then put some new shit in there. Right. Um, but yeah, that one had definitely. <coughs> um, I. Where, what are we yeah. talking about? We're talking. We're, we're done with DVDs. We were talking about. We we were gonna. Uh, we could move on to news. I don't have a whole lot because uh, you know the weeks following the New Year and Christmas and and when people are waiting for the Golden Globes tend to be a little slow. But uh, there were a few things that I wanted to at least bring up and get your opinion on. Yeah, well, actually, that's exactly what I was gonna say. I, I didn't want to get your opinion on a couple of things. Um, first <laughs> of all, uh, the, what's the Brad Pitt movie where he plays uh, like a hitman or my, it's, it's something? It starts with a C. God damn it. If I was doing more news lately, I'd know this, or any news. Um, Cole, 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 Coogan's Run? Coogan's Run. Oh, Coogan's, Coogan's Blood? Uh, yeah, okay. What um, about it? 
Has a trailer hit for that yet? I was looking for it no. on the site. I couldn't find it. Okay, because yeah, I right. just the one picture sold my sold my ticket to the theater right then. Um, <laughs> you know that. Wow. Um, and then Gangster Squad. What, what do you think that's going to turn out? Because I'm a huge fan of L.A. Confidential, of Mulholland Falls, all those right. era L.A. Pro, movies. Yeah, Prohibition era movies and stuff. Yeah, I'm a yeah. big fan of those also. Uh, and we did get the first pick of the entire Gangster Squad together, and they do look, they do look pretty fucking cool, uh, to be honest. Um, but yeah, uh, I think I saw Brandon Bibbs in that photo. <laughs> he he would fit right in, uh, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean the whole concept of that movie is really 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 good. Uh, it, it's based on uh, an elite team of of uh, L.A. officers who were put together to uh, stop the influx of the East Coast mob into into Los Angeles, and uh, and Sean Penn is playing uh, the gangster Mickey Cohen, and uh, on the on the side of good is Josh Brolin and Ryan Gosling and Anthony Mackie and. Uh, Michael Pena and uh, Nick Nolte and Robert Patrick, just a fantastic cast. Emma Stone is in it. I mean, it's just the cast is great, and it's yeah. written by Will Beals, ex cop, and is directed by the guy from Zombieland. Uh, it's funny, I just noticed Nick fantastic. Nolte was was actually in it because he was in Mulholland Falls playing. Well, I don't know if he's not one of the gangsters, but I, I am really glad to see two people that I, I don't think have got their cred since their name has been out there. Uh, one for the last twenty five years, one for the last two years. Robert Patrick and Anthony Mackie, two guys I love seeing in movies, but they don't—they—they they, they had their super hits, Hurt Locker and T2, respectively, and then they kind of just did smaller stuff. And so, I mean, I know he was in Anthony Mackie, still kind of riding the wave a little bit, but I, I hope right. to see him stay around. Right. Oh yeah. Oh, by the way, the movie we were talking about was Kogan's Trade. Kogan's uh, Trade. That's Kogan's Trade. Another movie. <clears throat> yeah, Kogan's uh, Trade is uh, is Brad Pitt and James Gandolfini and uh, Ray Liotta and. A whole bunch of people, and it's directed by Andrew Dominic, who did uh, uh, the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Fords, uh, which also starred Brad Pitt. So, uh, yeah, that one does look pretty good. Now, um, uh, the, the only other thing I wanted to get <clears throat> from you, and then because uh, uh, I got some other stuff, but I'll we skip over that. But uh, Prometheus, the picture that that uh, that you released last week um, with the first one of a character in full space suit and everything like that. Now. I was very confused looking at this picture because, uh, you know, this is uh, – at first it was a prequel to the alien, and now it's not – or no, first it was, and it wasn't, then it was. But when you look at that picture, it's equally as confusing. I know we've got final word that it is part of the alien tr- uh, chronology or whatever, but, you know, mm-hmm. the suit looks very different. But if you look in the back, everything looks very H.R. Geiger. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Very very his design. So um, – I mean, is it, is it going to be like? Do you think it's going to be like adding new stuff on top of the old stuff, or what? It's it's really hard to say, and they've done a damn good job of keeping it under wraps. Uh, I don't know if you saw the image that I put up there yesterday, uh, which featured uh, another shot of Numi Rapace in that same suit, uh, but also has the space jockeys in the background. Uh, yeah. So oh, I yeah. didn't. I, I, I'm, yeah, I'm, I, should, I should put that up I, yesterday. I should put my press card somewhere else. I saw space jockey, and I thought that you were just using like a colloquialism for astronaut. So I, I thought no. that was her. I didn't even look in the background. Yeah, Holy the space hell, jockey, right. The space jockey suits uh, in the background there. Uh, so and and you know and it, it's clearly building off the alien mythology. We just don't know to what extent, but it, it's we're we're gonna find that out. They've they've done a damn good job of keeping it secret, which I think is mm-hmm. adding to the mystique of the film, but. When as you long put as the they space jockeys in there, it's you're, you're pretty much saying, okay, this is a this is the world of Alien, and we're going back to the origin of that of the space jockey, trying to figure out what was with that 
that one space jockey they found an alien, you know, that carcass yeah. that well as or as Ridley Scott calls it, a suit. He says it was a suit, not a carcass, not a skeleton. It was a suit. And right. we don't know we don't know what was in that suit. So Well, you know, and, and I, I think that's awesome and it, but it's getting my hopes up and I hope they don't pull a Terminator Salvation on me and release hold everything secret quiet, shh, don't tell nobody. A week before right. it comes out, oh shit, people might not want to go because we didn't tell them enough. Let's put it all in the trailer and throw it out there. Right. You know, I hate that. I, oh, nothing kills me more. Right. <laughs> I, I agree with you. Um, what do you think about this Police Academy remake that that we, we heard rumors about before, but now it's pretty much confirmed now because they've hired a director. Um, and the guy who does that show you like, uh, Tosh.0, oh. uh, his name is Scott Zabielski. He's a director on Tosh.0, and uh, he's going to be directing a Police Academy remake. Wait. Uh, well, I guess I guess Police Academy is not not too hard of a movie to shoot, but <laughs> you direct a guy standing in front of a camera talking. That's you know, camera one, camera two, camera one, camera. Two. I yeah, can do that. I, my as or as my friends call it, YouTube the, the YouTube the series. Yeah, <laughs> I, I well, hate that show. Sadly, by the way. every time I look at it, it makes me want to vomit. That that show is popular. Yeah, but. I I mean I the vi- I could do without the commentary most of the time. The and I've only watched it twice, <laughs> but. The sad thing is, it's, this format's actually getting copied. Um, like, like uh, the, that skater that was in uh, Robin Big. Um, yep. Uh, his name's Rob. Rob, Rob uh, Durdak. He does one on MTV that's even less watchable, if you can believe that. Because um, not only does he put his own retarded spin on it, he brings two other retarded uh, F-list, yeah. quasi-celebrity Kardashians Ugh. on to talk about it as well. Yeah, it's, but, like, that uh, show, it's like that show Web Soup. And I hate it. You know, it's like yeah. first hard. We work. have the internet. We don't need you to show us the internet. Right. If I, I wanted people that. on the internet, I, I would do the same thing. And I, and I don't find like I don't find guys like Chris Hardwood very funny. So when they, I, I don't need them to to add their two cents to something that I already know why it's funny. You know, I, I can see why it's supposed to be funny. I don't need you to tell me why it's funny. You yeah. know, so stuff like that just doesn't work for me. I, I guess they all are trying to, in some way, copy off the talk suit model. You know. Yeah, and they're like, okay, we, you know, we crack jokes at things that are, that are, that are silly and stupid, but on when it's the internet, it's just different, you know, it's just, you know. Yeah, whatever. well, I mean, the thing is, is it, it, it's obviously a sad grasp at an audience they lost for that hour or two while people are looking at YouTube, and but you know, part of the fun of YouTube is your is is the <clears> community of it. You know, your buddy tells you, hey, man, you got to watch this video, and you go watch it, and you laugh about it together, but I don't want to watch things. With, I wouldn't hang out with Tosh if I knew him in real life. I, I wouldn't <laughs> hang out with no, Rob Yerdak. I'd want to uh, push him into a locker if I knew him. Yeah, but um, so. the Police Academy remake, I, I don't... The only way this works is if they go um, Karate Kid on it and, and just retain the goofy Police Academy and everything else around is new, and I think it's going to be hard because you're not going to find another um, uh, Michael Winslow. You're not going to... You know, find Shit. another. Michael Winslow will probably be in it. Uh, in fact, I, I mean, I can't imagine he's doing there. anything else. But <laughs> I, you know, I, I I watched like 17 videos of him because I was watching Spaceballs and he was in it. I was like, oh, what? That's gotta be that's gotta be fake. Or no, I was I was actually watching Police Academy, which does a machine gun sound when they get uh, run over by uh, run down by people. And uh, I look it up, and he's uh, apparently he's actually doing all that stuff, which is I don't understand. And, but, and, let's, um, and let's be honest, we're we're, we're going to get if the, if this movie ever does. Come to pass, which it looks like it will. We're gonna get that passing the torch type scene, and you'll probably see Michael Winslow. You'll probably see uh, Steve Gutenberg. You might see like Bubba Smith or that other guy, like not Mauser, but the, Bubba, the other guy. Uh, the the, uh, the Bubba, is Bubba Smith dead? Yep, he died last year. Did he really? Okay, oh, well, I forgot about that. 
<laughs> okay. Well, yeah, it would, wouldn't it? But uh, you'll see some of those other guys in there. Oh, yeah, he did that last year. That I can't fun. imagine the Goots um, Yeah. I mean, they could be Comic-Con. Uh, you probably won't see, like, the ones who actually are successful, like Bob Goldthwait or, you know, Kim Cattrall or Sharon Stone or any of those guys who are in those movies. Oh, you probably won't see Sharon Stone. Yeah, you probably won't see them come back to pass the torch, but Steve Guttenberg? Eh, maybe. <laughs> Think about those names you just said, and then imagine that one of the most successful franchises of the 80s, that was the best of its cast. Yeah, I know. I mean, <laughs> Sharon Stone, okay, big name. Um, uh, Slutty Chick on Sex and the City, big name. Bobcat Goldthwait, he actually is a big name nowadays. People don't know it's him. And yes. But it's crazy. It's crazy that, that they were that that good at what they did. But, yeah, like I said, unless they just remember the soul of the original and go with their own, like don't try to copy and don't try to pass the torch, I, there, there's a zippy chance that I, I'm – you know, they might as well call it Police Academy 9, <laughs> well, the new class. Let's, let's be honest. We're going to watch it if it does come out. Yeah. But uh, we just won't We just won't be rooting for it while it's being made. <laughs> well, see, now, I, I maybe would have had a chance at not seeing all these goddamn remakes. Well, if we weren't not rooting for it, we wouldn't get made. We wouldn't have a job. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't be seeing all these goddamn remakes. I, I would. I'm just going to say this. I wouldn't be seeing them all if it wasn't for Karate Kid bringing my host back up. You see a remake of the one that's got to be the worst. Oh, my God. Will Smith's kid and Jackie Chan doing the Karate Kid. That doesn't make any sense. That's stupid. Anyway, in China, and they're doing Kung Fu. That's stupid. Love the movie. Yeah. No, right I, I agree. Have hope again. No, it was awesome. It was awesome. No, There's no doubt about it. Uh, we only got like two minutes left, so we need to get the hell out of here. Uh, so next week's show. Uh, next week we have reviews of Red Tails. Mm-hmm. Uh Extremely loud and incredibly close. That's the 9/11 movie everybody's talking about. Uh, Haywire, which looks amazing, uh, and Underworld Awakening, which is opening cold. So we got to go out and actually pay to go see that shit. Um, yeah. So I'm pissed. And we might even yeah. have a, re- a review of the Divide. I don't know if I'm going to do that or not. But uh, doesn't the Gray come out next week, or is it the week the after? The Gray comes out the week after. Week after, okay. Uh, um, yeah, so so it's going to be a busy week next week, and it'll be my last show before I go to Sundance. So yes. I'm pretty excited. You have live <laughs> coverage. <laughs> Travis will be out there schmoozing and schmoozing, skiing with um with uh, uh people that um, ski in the mountains. I am I am furiously trying to line up uh, interviews now, and I'm having a, a little success, but not as much as I'd like. But you know, I, I, I honestly I just want to sit in a darkened room and watch movies that won't be coming out for months and be able to review them. So, I'll be honest. I I wanted on, to go just because I wanted to walk around the streets and see everybody there. <laughs> but, dude, dude, that's really all I want to do. I just want to walk around and see Zoe Deschanel and Joseph Gordon-Levitt and all these other fools and be walk around there and me. Hey, can I take your picture? You know, gonna, <laughs> that's gonna be me. But uh, oh, but you're gonna be there, and that's all that matters. So watch for live coverage of that. I will bring in all you, all those movies and more. Make sure to tune into PunchDrunkCritics.com every single day. Check us out on Twitter at PunchDrunkJohn is me at PunchyCritic is Travis. Um, emails PunchDrunkCritics at Gmail and Yahoo.com. If you have anything you want to say, let us know. We'll try to work it out and help you out. Um, keep it tuned every day, and until then, we'll leave you out with this one today. We forgot it. <laughs> We came, we saw, we kicked his ass. That's it, man. Game over, man. It's game over. I'm not great at farewell, so, uh, that'll do, pig. That's the worst goodbye I've ever heard. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.